Tonight the topic is wisdom. The word wisdom might have a range of meanings, a range of things that we can have wisdom about. But the wisdom of the Buddha is pretty specific when he began his own exploration, the question he asked was, why do we suffer and is it possible to be free of suffering? And so the wisdom that the Buddha teaches and that develops in our minds as we practice is related to understanding dukkha, understanding suffering, how we suffer and why we suffer. Sayadaw Utejaniya actually says that the purpose of practice is to develop this kind of wisdom. That this Wisdom is what allows the mind to let go. The wisdom is what allows the mind to release the ways that we cling, the ways that we are confused, the ways that we push away, the ways that we hold on. Wisdom is what allows that. We sometimes think we're doing a letting go, but that letting go happens with the presence of wisdom. When I first started really kind of tuning in to the word wisdom, and then in particular for me, this happened through Saito Utejaniya's teaching. He uses the word wisdom more than any other Dharma teacher that I had heard up to that point. And at some point he suggested that I notice wisdom at work in the mind. And this was a little bit mystifying to me. What does that mean? What did he mean by that? And so I began trying to explore that to answer that question for myself. I think I had the idea initially that Either wisdom was something very grand that would be out there someday in the future, or that wisdom was something kind of abstract and not really um, relevant moment to moment in experience. And what we see as we begin to explore wisdom directly in our minds, as we see that it is a factor, it is a quality in the mind that is conditioned, much as mindfulness, concentration, energy, confidence are also 
conditioned qualities, conditioned wholesome qualities that arise in the mind. And we can create the conditions and have supportive conditions for the cultivation of these qualities. These qualities that I just named, in fact, confidence, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom are what are sometimes called the five faculties. The five faculties that support our minds waking up. Wisdom is one of these faculties. So it is a conditioned arising in the mind. And we can While we can't actually do wisdom, we can cultivate conditions that allow for its arising. And we can begin to recognize it when it is arising, when it's present in our experience. And this is really what I'd like to explore this evening. What is it? What does it feel like? What is the experience of wisdom? Not an idea of what wisdom is, but what is the experience of wisdom? How can we begin to recognize it when it's working? As with any wholesome quality, mindfulness is this great uh, force in our minds. And it has this amazing capacity that when we turn our attention to hindrances or reactive states of mind, when we turn our attention to the kalesa, the factors of mind rooted in greed, aversion, and delusion, when we turn mindfulness to those states of mind, it creates the conditions for them to appear less in our mind stream. But when we turn our mindful attention towards wholesome qualities, it creates the conditions for them to grow, to increase. And so if we can begin to recognize the experience of wisdom, not just let it kind of slide by us, but begin to recognize it, it supports it, it nourishes it to be mindful of it. So in the in the texts, the um, Eightfold Path, the path of practice, begins with wise view. We could say that the path of practice begins with some kind of wise understanding of what, how to orient our practice. I think somebody mentioned that Saito Utejaniya has said, that mindfulness alone or awareness alone is not enough, that we have to have wisdom with that awareness. And so the path begins with an orientation around some wisdom teachings. We don't start in the abstract, just, oh, let me pay attention. There's an orientation that helps us to to kind of 
look at our experience from a particular perspective. And that perspective, the most common way that wisdom is defined or described, that wise view is described in the text, is as an understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Understanding there is suffering. The, the, the truth of suffering. Understanding the cause of suffering recognizing the cause of suffering as being a uh, the craving in the mind and then having a sense that there's the possibility to be free of that suffering and recognizing the path that leads us to the ending of that suffering I like to simplify that to a rephrasing of the, the Four Noble Truths, this wisdom that the Buddha offered, the feeling of offness in our experience, that things just aren't quite right, is created by our own minds and it's possible to change our minds. Embedded in this understanding is, in this uh, teaching of the Four Noble Truths, is, is an understanding of states of mind that lead us towards suffering and states of mind that lead us away from suffering. Skillful qualities of mind that lead us away from suffering the Brahmaviharas, love, compassion, joy, equanimity, the five faculties, mindfulness, faith, concentration, energy, wisdom, the seven factors of awakening, all of these qualities that we cultivate to support freedom. And the unwholesome qualities of mind, those all of those different reactive emotions basically come down, filter down to states of mind rooted in greed, aversion, and delusion. And we see, as we start to explore our practice, this very simple kind of, in some ways, ethical distinction of our our states of mind. And that ethics isn't about right-wrong, but it's about Suffering or not suffering? And our heart wants to orient more and more towards not suffering. So this understanding of what is skillful and what is unskillful is another way that wisdom is framed in the, in the teachings of the Buddha, in the, in the texts. This definition or understanding that certain actions, certain mind states lead us to, when acted on, certain mind states when acted on, lead us to suffering. They have that consequence. Other actions, other mind states when acted on, lead us more towards happiness. They have that consequence. So there's a cause and effect uh, cause and effect recognition or understanding also built into the wisdom of the Buddha. Suffering is not random, and freedom is not random. 
the cause and effect and nature of experience both works to catch us up and keep us hooked. But when we begin to see how this cause and effect relationship works and see that cultivating mindfulness, wisdom, compassion, love supports moving us away from suffering, cause and effect works in our favor to free us, to help to free us. So these basic definitions of wisdom are kind of where we begin. We begin our path by having an understanding, hearing, hearing these teachings. We probably would not find the way ourselves without hearing this perspective. It's said to be highly unlikely. The Buddha found the way. The rest of us need help. And thank goodness we have that. We have the teachings. And so the path of practice, which begins with wise view, begins with hearing the teachings. We start there, but then for those of us in this room, it's not just, oh, heard. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. We actually start reflecting on it. We may begin to think about, does this make sense? Does this, how might, how might this work in my life? Or, gosh, this sounds like something different. My own experience when I met the teachings of the Buddha went something like this. I was really suffering. And uh, somebody sent me a book that pointed out the teachings of the Buddha. And uh, I read the book. I understood very little of it, but got one little piece out of it. And that was something like, try just knowing you're having reactive emotions instead of acting on them. And, you know, I thought, well, what good is that going to do? If I look at my, if I look at, anger was my issue. If I, if I, if I look at anger, isn't that just going to make me more angry? But I was willing to engage, to try it. This is, this is how the practice begins. We hear the teachings and something in us, perhaps some conditions in our lives, in my case, it was a condition of feeling like I'd hit bottom. I'd tried everything that I could think of to find happiness in my life and none of it had worked. And here came this very unintuitive suggestion and I thought, well, nothing else has worked. Why not try this? And so there was that kind of Engagement with the wisdom. Engagement with trying it on. And this is the next turn of the wheel of wisdom. We reflect on it. We're willing to engage. So it, it's, it's, it's bound up with trust and confidence and faith. In my case, I didn't have any kind of outward faith in the teachings, but was willing to give it a go because it sounded like something I could just try. It's like running an experiment. I could try running the experiment. 
And lo and behold, in a very short time, I had some confirmation that this experiment is really useful. And so this is, this is kind of the next turning of the wheel of, of wisdom. We start by hearing the teachings, and then we may begin reflecting on them, thinking about them, trying it out. And then we start to know for ourselves, this is useful. That knowing for ourselves this is useful, seeing how the practice helps to free the mind, this is wisdom at work in the moment. Most of you have probably had some kind of experience that kind of solidified for you, yeah. I mean, you're all sitting here in a, in a six-week retreat. I mean, it's not, it's not just that you think it's like some... some uh, I, I certainly wouldn't have considered going on a six-week retreat after I read that book. I mean, it took quite a bit for me to actually gain enough confidence to be able to even sit a day-long retreat. And all of you are here in this room there's some degree of wisdom that has you here. Some experience of wisdom that has you sitting in this room. As I started to read about all the teachings, you know, that the suttas are, if we stacked them on the stage here, there'd probably be three stacks of books about, you know, this high. There's a lot of teachings, a lot of teachings in the Pali Canon. And so as I started studying and learning, it's like, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff here. And we might think that we need to understand it all. But actually, what it feels like to me, and what I think I saw in that very first book that I read, where I got this one little nugget out of it, try looking at your reactive emotions instead of acting on them. That little nugget was enough for a tremendous amount of learning to happen by just turning to my experience with that question. What is it like to be experiencing this reactive emotion? So in my um, sense, the wisdom of the Buddha is really, really dense. It's like the most rich kind of dark chocolate possible. And, you know, one little tiny bit of it on your tongue and it's gonna, you're going to taste it. The wisdom of the Buddha is like that one little bit that you can understand, one little bit that you can turn and apply in your experience will take you a very long way. So you don't have to understand all of the, you know, the, the, all of the links of dependent origination and how the seven factors of awakening work with the, with the uh, four Brahma-viharas to lead to awakening. You don't have to know all of that. When you find some wisdom that resonates, use that 
and look at your experience. I think in many ways also this wisdom of the Buddha, it, uh, it kind of comes into our system, into our organism, and it kind of works in conjunction with the way our organism functions. You know, our organism as an organism, much as, you know, any living organism, it tends towards It's like our, our organism has it has it attending towards well-being. Only delusion in our mind has us operating with like a layer over that direction towards well-being and it's like we uh, this delusion just puts on this uh this uh very short-sighted perspective of well-being like if i get this next little hit that'll be well-being it's like this next little hit of happiness this next little hit of getting rid of that thing we we end up with this idea or this belief that this very short-sighted way of navigating the world is the as good as it gets but what happens is we start with this perspective with this wise view that the buddha offers and bringing our attention to our experience those two together mindfulness and wisdom even at the beginning when it's simply the perspective of wise view rather than the inner experience of wise view where we're just borrowing, basically borrowing the wisdom of the Buddha as I, as I did when I kind of said, well, okay, let's see what happens if I look at my emotions instead of acting on them. I was borrowing that wisdom. That as we start to do that, our system, the organism, gets a whole different set of information. It begins to recognize that that continual grasping for something in the future, the continual grasping for, oh, I need that hit, I I need to get rid of that thing, get that thing, that that very grasping, that very aversion itself is not well-being. The delusion of those states obscures the non-well-being of the greed and aversion itself. But when we bring mindfulness and wisdom to that perspective, the organism gets different information and it begins to orient, our organism begins to orient towards how to let go of those states that are very clearly not well-being. So many of you in the interviews have talked about have talked about this seeing how much suffering it is to want something to be other than it is. 
The good news is that as you're seeing that, your mind is getting an education. We, we can't skip over that education. It's like, we wish we could skip over that education. We wish we could say, oh, I saw that once, or I, you know, I've, I've seen that, that feeling of craving, that feeling of wanting things to be other than they are. That's suffering, so why do I need to keep feeling it? Well, the, the patterns of clinging and craving are so deep that it has to be seen over and over again. And the, the, the wisdom develops in contact with that dukkha. It's not a mistake, it's not a mistake when we're experiencing dukkha in our practice. It's the process of the mind beginning to learn the way it thought happiness was found. It's not going to be found in that way. Over and over again, it needs to be re, uh, relearn that lesson. So wisdom develops through contact with dukkha much of the time. As the practice develops, there's different ways that wisdom comes into play in our practice. At first, and at various times in our practice, we can be aware of what's happening. Just in that example that I just gave where we're, we're just caught by something, we're, we're sitting there. I remember so many times sitting in this hall feeling the suffering of something and the, mi- the mind saying something like, I'd let go if I knew how. I don't know how to let go of this. Well, in that moment, the mind is essentially getting the education about the dukkha, the suffering. And that's what we see, can we meet that? Can we be with that? There's times when we're in that space. So in that time, wisdom is not strong enough to free that moment of contraction. But we can borrow wisdom in that moment. We can potentially bring it in. So we're, we're aware of some kind of struggle and we can use reflection Reminding ourselves, right, this is impermanent. Or this is dukkha. I love that reflection. When I finally started recognizing that, it was, it was a great um, reminder for me that this, what I'm experiencing right now, this struggle that is being experienced, this is dukkha. And that became shorthand for me that the Buddha asked us to understand dukkha. Again, wisdom develops in contact with dukkha. And so that very reminder, ah, this is dukkha, kind of let my mind, ha, huh, right, that's what's happening. Okay, the practice is to be with it. It's not a problem. This is what we open to. So we can drop in, sometimes even consciously using... Um, Mental reminders, like little wisdom nuggets that we drop into our meditation, can be very helpful at times when we're struggling. I have some favorites. This is dukkha is one of them. This is nature. We've talked about that. 
This is one that Saira Utejaniya offers. This is nature, what's happening right now. Of course this is what's happening right now. It really couldn't be any other way. Again, a kind of an orientation to the cause and effect nature, the conditioned nature, the conditioned nature of what's arising in this moment. It's been conditioned based on, well, actually the entirety of the universe up until this moment. What's arising right now is what's arising. It's not random. And it's conditioned based on our experience, how we're relating to it right now. This is nature. This is what's growing in this moment. Can I know that? At different times, we may be able to see through certain kinds of Um, struggle, contraction. We're experiencing something, you know, for instance, we might, we might be, we might be um, seeing something happen and recognize that there's a relationship of aversion to it. And over time we begin to see there's a skill that develops oh right, I can check the attitude. Oh right, what's happening is there's a version going on. And, and the mind begins to be able to have the skill not only to remember the tools, but in that moment, the tools kind of draw the wisdom to the surface and experience shifts. So this is a kind of an in intermediate time where wisdom is beginning to operate. We, we, we see there's a kind of an intuition or we've practiced certain ways for a while using the tools that we, that we offer. And checking the attitude, for instance, or, or just meeting experience. And those tools become kind of intuitive. And as we see some su- a struggle happen, we remember, oh, right, there's struggle happening. What's my relationship to what's happening? There's some relationship. Oh, oh, I want it to be different. That's what's going on right now. So we see that. And in the very seeing of it, there's a little space that's created. And it's, it's not so much of a struggle anymore. So we see those, the little space created this, oh, this is just, this is what's happening. That's wisdom at work in that moment. It's a, it's a kind of a, there can be a kind of a feeling that we're consciously drawing on our tools and practices at that point. But in the moment of orienting to, oh, let me look at it this way, suddenly there's a feeling of freedom, a feeling of at least loosening or uh, letting go around the suffering. And then there's a kind of a wisdom that we don't even have to try to make it work. It's like when wisdom gets very strong, when the conditions are in the mind right, sometimes Wisdom will just, you don't, even have, you don't even have to 
think about what to do. Wisdom just comes in and makes a choice. An example of this from my own practice, I think my very first, very first example I had of this um, unfolded over, or the kind of the scenario of this unfolded over a number of weeks. But I had been observing anger in my experience for many, many weeks. And uh, one bit of wisdom that was developing in that time was that when I'm experiencing anger, I'm suffering. That, that kind of took me by surprise. I mean, I think I said the other day, oh, it was in the Metta the other day, I said that, you know, sometimes I've, I've had the idea that I want somebody to suffer from my anger. You know, in my early, my first few months of practice, I really saw that, that when the anger was coming up, some part of my mind believed that the person I was angry with was going to be suffering because I was angry. And then the recognition that they don't even know I'm angry. They're 7,000 miles away. I'm in the middle of the South Pacific and that person's in California. That person is not being touched by this anger, but I am burning up. This is suffering. So there was a very clear understanding and a kind of a, a kind of a mind-blowing recognition of, oh my gosh, I thought this was supposed to be making that person miserable. It's making me miserable. I mean, it's kind of like, duh, but... I mean, it's amazing how deluded our minds are. So in any case, there was that recognition. There was that that seeing of anger is suffering over the course of a number of weeks of just being curious about it. Being curious about what is it like to be experiencing anger. And then one day, I was doing something. And um, as I was doing this thing, a thought arose in my mind about the person I was angry with. And in that moment, the mind started heading towards, uh, as the person arose in my mind, it started heading towards the, uh, the anger. But in that moment, the mind saw it was headed towards suffering. In that moment, the mind knew that way lies suffering. Enough experience, as I, as I said, you know, part of what our practice is is to really get the reactive states are dukkha. And so as, as, as the mind saw the thought and saw the kind of incl- inclination to jump on that thought and think more thoughts in order to get angry, as, as that inclination was seen, wisdom came in and said, that way lies suffering. I don't think so. I was stunned. You know, I did not try to not become angry. Wisdom arose in that moment. It was years before I knew that was what happened. But that's an example of wisdom coming in and taking the lead. Wisdom knows that way lies suffering. Don't go there. I didn't have to do it. And so this is where wisdom can can become very strong. And now, it may sound like, you know, we start by thinking about, or, you know, we start with the, uh, 
reflecting on and bringing in and borrowing wisdom. And then, and then there's this period of time where we're able to um, navigate and, you know, bring in our practices and wisdom just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. It doesn't quite work like that. There's certain, it, it seems to me that there's certain, um, well, there's conditions. Wisdom is, is a conditioned uh, factor of the mind. There are times when that wisdom is available and times when conditions don't allow for it to be there. Just a simple example that you all recognize. You know, there's times of the day when the mind is more tired or maybe... You know, so conditions, even conditions such as how much food you've had or, or how much sleep you've had affect how much connection there can be to the present moment experience. So the various conditions make it more or less of the, the wisdom more or less available at times. And so the very same kinds of things, you know, patterns, especially our habitual patterns, the ones we see over and over again, there are times when we see them and, oh, there's that pattern. Hi, pattern. Wow, let's see what you look like today. And we just get a different perspective on it and the mind is pretty balanced about it. Another time later that same day, maybe it's like you're completely caught by that pattern. This is not some kind of personal failing. This is really just the conditioned nature of wisdom. Sometimes the conditions are such that it's more available than others. And we just keep on doing the best we can. So sometimes we have to go back to drawing on, oh, right, right, this is just anger. Okay, can I just, you know, and and whatever we try doesn't seem to have inroads into the experience of the dukkha. Oh, this is dukkha. Okay, this is dukkha. Again, borrowing the wisdom, drawing on the wisdom that we, we know, but maybe don't have experiential access to in that moment. It's not, it's not a failing when this kind of cycling happens. It is the nature of the mind. And then there are times when something is, certain kinds of patterns are more uh, seen through. We may see through a certain, hmm, a certain, uh, at one point I I kind of had an insight around a particular anger with a particular person and that pattern fell away. So there was some wisdom that developed around that particular pattern. But that didn't mean that all the anger went away. The wisdom wisdom um, seems to drop particular kinds of delusion. And we have many, many, many ways the mind has delusion. So we learn, just like sometimes we gain little bits of wisdom 
And then that wisdom gets obscured and then it comes back. So just a few ways, some other ways I've, I mean, I've in this, what I've said already, I've been describing ways in which we might experience wisdom. You know, just that little shift of, oh, this is just frustration. We, we see something just as something arising in the present moment. That's wisdom at work. When we can see, oh, this is just frustration arising. There can be a, a shift of perspective around a pattern that allows us to just watch it as a pattern instead of being caught by it or believing something, it means something about us. This... Um, this kind of shift sometimes feels like we've put our mind into neutral. Like, you, you know, if a car is traveling really fast down the freeway, if you put the car into neutral, the car doesn't stop. But you know it's going to stop because you're no longer giving it gas and it's just in neutral. And, and this kind of perspective, this shift of perspective of, oh, this is just, you can just watch a pattern unfolding and not be caught in it. That's like the mind is in neutral. It allows the pattern to kind of unwind in its own time. This is wisdom at work. This is a form of wisdom at work. When you have that capacity Wisdom is present in the mind. And part of my aim, I think, the purpose in offering this talk is to help you recognize you all have a lot of wisdom. It works in your mind a lot. That simple experience of, oh, wisdom at work. Sometimes we, a little, maybe a little bit stronger wisdom that sees something in the moment so clearly. It's like the mind is just so interested and curious and just right there with it and it vanishes. Again, that's wisdom at work. Well, I remember one time, it was on my first three-month course, transition between first half and second half, and I had different teachers that were, you know, my first half teachers left, second half teachers came in, and I felt abandoned by my first half teachers. (laughs) And, And I was sitting in the yoga room and feeling really sorry for myself, you know, feeling abandoned, feeling, I felt like a three-year-old, you know? And I was just feeling that, I, I was aware of it. I was feeling it, and I, had, I was practicing compassion for myself and all of this, you know, so I was, I was kind of feeling into it. But at some point, the mind got really curious. Well, what is this? What is this feeling of abandonment anyway? And it's like, I turned to look at it, and it was like, Phew! it was gone. It's like, what? Where did it go? You know, I was very confused at that moment. And actually, when my second half teacher came and I reported this experience to her, my interpretation of this 
my original interpretation of this was that I must not know how to investigate emotions because it disappeared when I tried to look at it. And so I reported to her. I said, you know, I don't know how to investigate emotions. And she says, well, tell me what you saw. And I said, well, I saw when I turned to look at it, it disappeared. And she said, trust your experience. So that was a case where wisdom was at work and I thought it was like delusion. (laughs) It's like, no. And when I described the experience to her a little more clearly, it's like, you know, I was, I was with it, I was being with it with compassion, and then there was this real interest that arose that said, well, what is this anyway? And then poof, that's wisdom at work, the curiosity. You know, she, she said, sometimes when we're hanging out with, with emotions like that, like being with it with compassion, there's a little bit of a hook into it. And this just little bit of curiosity lets that hook go. We go back to the car analogy. In that kind of a scenario, it's like the car doesn't go into neutral. The car just disappears. It doesn't come to a stop. It just vanishes. That pattern, it just goes. That's another way that wisdom can be seen. And there's another, uh, another form of wisdom that many of you have talked about in, in interviews, and that is recognizing essentially when reactive emotions are not happening, the non-arising of reactive emotions, the non-arising of the hindrances. We've talked about this the recognizing when the hindrances are absent. So we can know when, when we can see, I mean, certain ways this, this, might be, this might be experienced, the non-arising of a reactive emotion. We might um, recognize that particular places in our day, we tend to get caught up in reactivity. And we learn how to navigate that time or place in order to avoid that hindrance from arising. An example of this would be something like, you know, if you notice that going into the dining hall, judgments tend to arise. You know, many of you have talked about this also, just how much, I mean, it's like the dining hall is a sea for judgments, self-judgments, other judgments. Am I taking more food, less food? Just, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's a minefield of judgment in the dining hall. If you can, in that, noticing that, you know, noticing, wow, going into the dining room, there's a lot of judgment that happens there. Well, you could think, okay, let me avoid going in the dining room. Well, that might not work because you need your food. Um, but you could also explore bringing mindfulness to the seeing process. Joseph gives this suggestion that if you notice there's judgment for you walking into the dining room, as soon as you cross that door, start noting seeing. Know that seeing is happening. 
that very kind of orientation towards knowing that seeing is happening begins to short-circuit the movement to reactivity. Because the reactivity, the judgment arises because we don't recognize that seeing is happening and thought arises from seeing and then the idea of more or less arises from that thought. So when we can just be right with the seeing, it can avoid the arising of that defilement. So there's, that's one way that we can know the non-arising of defilement. We can be practicing in a particular way. We learn what leads to the, the defilement and learn how to avoid that. Another way that many of you have talked about in, in the last few weeks is beginning to see that whatever's going on right now, I know, like three or four weeks ago, when this kind of thing was happening, I was way more reactive. So you're, you see, you start to see a lessening of reactivity. That the conditions are such that you almost should be reactive, but you're not. That's another way that we can see the non-arising of defilement. Again, wisdom at work there. Wisdom is present in that time. It's a, it's a quieter kind of wisdom. It's, it's not like the kind of wisdom that's like big, like mind-blowing, shatter, earth-shattering, like... When we think of, of wisdom or insights as being these big, like, kabooms, I certainly thought that was the way it was going to be. You know, I was going to have one big insight, and then it would be done. <laughs> but it's much more this, like, small, little shifts of understanding that happen. And this is one way. We begin to see, oh, wow, I'm not as reactive as I was whole pattern of reactivity. I know I would have been really crazy here. But now it's just a little bit of, oh, there's a little bit of agitation here, but there's not like whole big patterns of aversion and like going off the deep end. So we see the weakening of the defilements, the weakening of the reactivity as an increase of wisdom. We can also know the mind is free of reactivity when we see calm, equanimity, brahmi-viharas, when those are present in the mind, these also can indicate that wisdom is present. Balance of mind. We, We recognize, again, so we're seeing the... The mind is free of reactivity. Wisdom is present in that, often. Not always. Sometimes the mind can be free of defilement through, or can be free temporarily through suppression, through concentration. So sometimes we can have these periods of calm and peace that are just coming about through just being very concentrated. But at the same time, there's the possibility for wisdom to grow there because we see in that state, we see just how optional our reactive patterns are. You know, so we're in a place where 
we're not reacting to things through concentration. And the mind learns the, um, the reactivity actually doesn't add anything useful. And so wisdom can grow in that situation too, even if it's concentration that's keeping the hindrances at bay. And then there are moments of insight, moments of wisdom that happen around clear seeing of impermanence, unreliable nature of experience, and the conditioned nature of experience, seeing the not-self nature of experience. as the mind begins to see just how rapidly things are changing, at a very deep level when, that, when the mind sees just how quickly things are changing, at a very deep level the mind understands there's no point in clinging to this. It's just going to vanish. So that's the wisdom around the impermanence. There are times when seeing some, Kamala mentioned this the other night, seeing some perhaps beautiful emotion, beautiful state of mind. Sometimes I find after an insight, after a clear seeing of dukkha, uh, there can sometimes be this feeling of bliss, of like, oh, I figured it out, I understood something. And there can be a kind of a sinking into that, um, that bliss. That, that bliss will, will um, bite you at some point. I've, uh, I, had, I had one really clear recognition around this. I saw something, a very strong pattern, just the, uncon- the, the, the conditioned nature of it and how it was just like a creation of the mind. It was like, you know, self-hatred, just poof. And then the, the next moment was like, oh, bliss, no more self-hatred. And the next moment was like, no. <laughs> This is just for this moment. This seeing, this insight, this recognition, this moment of wisdom is conditioned in this moment. You know, insights are impermanent. And that recognition, because insights can lead to some beautiful kind of uh, states of mind, and yet we can cling to those. And when we cling to something that is wholesome or beautiful, we will suffer when it goes. And so as the mind begins to deeply understand the, uh, it's again, it's related to impermanence, the impermanent nature of those pleasant experiences. The mind understands the dukkha of holding to that, the suffering of holding to that. And it just doesn't do it. It just Wisdom just says that's not, there's no point. There's no point in holding on to that. It's dukkha to hold on to that. 
when we see a pattern is conditioned as simply an arising phenomenon, we watch a pattern arise in, sometimes we can see something, see the conditions arising. This arose, a thought arose in the mind, and that thought led to this feeling, and that feeling led to this belief. We can see, it's just like watching dominoes fall. And we see, it's like, who did that? This is just conditioned unfolding. Not me, not mine. The mind just lets go. So again, these deeper levels of wisdom at work in the mind at times. Deep insight can happen around a pattern in a moment. And then the next day, it sometimes seems like, oh, it's so obvious seeing through something, wisdom at work in the mind. When wisdom's present in the mind and we're seeing through a particular kind of delusion really clearly, it seems so obvious. How can we not see it? We figured it out. It feels like we figured it out. It's really helpful to recognize rather than, oh, I figured it out. This is wisdom at work in this moment. To acknowledge that. This is wisdom at work in this moment. It helps us recognize the impermanent nature of understanding. It comes and goes, conditions based on conditions. And we have an insight into something, it seems so obvious, and then two hours later, it's like, wow, I guess it wasn't so obvious because I have no idea why it seemed so obvious now. It's like the veil comes back, the delusion comes back. And again, this is not, it's not a personal failing, it's just the practice, it's the conditions of the mind. So learning to recognize these moments of wisdom Learning to recognize when wisdom is at work in the mind will strengthen wisdom. Wisdom is at work in all of your minds. These insights, when we see them, when we can recognize, oh, this is wisdom at work, it inspires some confidence. It kind of works in a spiral nature that as we see something clearly, it encourages us to keep looking, to keep exploring. This trust and wisdom kind of feed off of each other. As we see something clearly with wisdom, it feeds the trust. And then when we're no longer in that place of seeing it clearly, we can draw on that trust. And the practice spirals deeper. Our work is not to do wisdom because we can't do it. Our work is not to do insight. Insight arises based on conditions. And the conditions are the steady mindfulness, 
the simplicity of meeting moment-to-moment experience with this perspective of wise view, of curiosity about how is suffering created in the mind? How is it possible for it to release? Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.